Welcome to Science Feels, where the science is a simple bit. We tend to think of science and discovery as being above the messiness of the human world, but the stories of the lives behind scientific discoveries often paint a different picture. Can we separate science from humanity? Each episode will tell a story from science, working from first-hand accounts, transcripts and letters to tell the story of the discovery from a human perspective. After this, we'll explore any themes that come up and pick apart the story. This week, we're exploring guilt through the story of nuclear fission and the partnership that made it happen. It's 1907. Lisa Meitner, a physicist from Vienna and the second woman ever to gain a doctorate from the university there, meets chemist Otto Hahn. She begins working with him at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Berlin and thus begins a lifelong partnership and friendship that was to change the world forever. Thinking back to the time of my youth, one realises with some astonishment how many problems then existed in the lives of ordinary young girls, which now seem almost unimaginable. Among the most difficult of these problems was the possibility of normal intellectual training. Dr Otto Hahn had indicated that he would be interested in collaborating with me. Hahn was of the same age as myself, and very informal in manner, and I had the feeling that I would have no hesitation in asking him all I needed to know. There was no question of any close relationship between us outside of the laboratory. Lisa Meitner had a very strict ladylike upbringing and was very reserved, even shy. For many years I never had a meal with Lisa, except on official occasions. Nor did we ever go for a walk together. Apart from the physics colloquia that we attended, we met only in the carpenter's shop. There we generally worked until nearly eight in the evening, so that one or the other of us would have to go out to buy salami or cheese before the shop shut at that hour. We never ate our cold supper together there. Lise went home alone, and so did I. And yet, we were really very close friends. During the First World War, Meitner works as an X-ray nurse in Ukraine, whilst Hahn is conscripted to a special chemical warfare unit. Here, he assists in the creation and manufacture of poison gases. Our minds were so numbed, we no longer had any scruples about the whole thing. They both came back to Berlin before the war was over, returning to their research. By the 1920s, the institute consists of Hahn's section for radiochemistry and Meitner's for nuclear physics. The two sections were approximately equal in budget and numbers of personnel. In early 1933, both of them were cautiously optimistic about the political situation in Germany. Here, naturally, everything and everyone is affected by the radical political changes. Last week, already, we had to hoist the swastika flag beside the black-white-red imperial flag. Hitler spoke very moderately, tactfully and personally. Hopefully things will continue in this vein. I am not a Nazi. But Hitler is the hope, the powerful hope of German youth. At least 20 million people revere him. He began as a nobody, and you see what he has become in 10 years. In any case for the youth, for the nation of the future, Hitler is a hero, a Führer, a saint. In his daily life, he is almost a saint. No alcohol, not even tobacco, no meat, no women. In a word, Hitler is an unequivocal Christ. In 1935, the Transuranian Research Programme begins, a joint research effort between the two scientists. As the result of many years of work, Meitner, Strassmann and I had finally obtained a great number of artificial active kinds of atoms, which all appeared to be formed directly or indirectly by beta radiation from the supposed short-living uranium isotopes, and which therefore must all represent so-called trench uraniums, elements higher than uranium. Under the control of National Socialism, objective science found itself in a struggle for existence of deadly peril, 
Unscholarly teachings, above all those derived from false interpretations of racial theory, were promoted while deserving scientists were forced to leave this country or forced into silence. A rather large National Socialist cell is formed in the Institute. It is all quite methodical. In the 12 years of the Nazi regime, eight of the 14 women lecturers at the University of Berlin were forced to resign or to emigrate for political or racial reasons. Up until the end of the war, there were several staff members who had Jewish blood or were married to Jews. In a few of these cases, the protection of the Institute probably saved their lives. After countless attempts by scientist friends around Europe to get her out of Germany, Meitner is forbidden to leave by the SS, who state that Political considerations prevent the issuance of a passport for Frau Meitner to travel abroad. It is considered undesirable that well-known Jews leave Germany to travel abroad where they appear to be representatives of German science or with their names and their corresponding experience might even demonstrate their inner attitude against Germany. In the summer of 1938, she flees illegally across the Dutch border. She leaves behind all her possessions, but Hahn gives her his mother's diamond ring to bribe the border guards if necessary. A tip-off has already been sent to the authorities, informing them that she was about to flee. I had exactly one and a half hours to pack, to leave Germany after 31 years, with 10 marks in my purse. One dare not look back. One cannot look forward. We agreed on a code telegram, in which we could be let known whether the journey ended in success or failure. The danger consisted in the SS's repeated passport controls of trains crossing the frontier, People trying to leave Germany were always being arrested on the train and brought back. We were shaking with fear whether she would get through or not. 13 July. Said goodbye early to Hahn. Ring. Met Costa at the station. In Neuschwanz, the customs officer was informed. 6pm, Groningen. Eventually she gets to Sweden and with very little money staying in a hotel, she has to wait almost a year until her belongings are sent from Berlin. In mid-December 1938, Hahn and Strassmann identify barium as a product, the first indication that the uranium nucleus can be split in two. Physicists instantly understand that this is a huge discovery. The first to hear of the barium is Meitner in Sweden. She had continued her collaboration with Hahn and Strassmann through her correspondence with Hahn and in a secret meeting with him in Copenhagen in November. Just after Christmas 1938, she and her nephew Otto Robert Frisch, also a physicist and a refugee, formulate the first theoretical explanation for the fission process and calculate the energy released. If there's something to it, then the trench uranes would die. I don't know if that would make me very sad or not. Meitner and Frisch soon proved that the active breakdown products previously considered to be trench uraniums were in fact not trench uraniums but fragments produced by splitting. They were able to accumulate these by repulsion outside the radiated uranium. Early in 1939, Hahn and Strassmann published their findings. Soon after this, Meitner and Frisch published their theoretical explanation for what is observed. They used the word fission for the first time. This marks the start of efforts the world over to utilise these findings in the production of nuclear weaponry, with the Manhattan Project beginning later that year. Normally, I am really not so concerned about publishing. On the contrary. But in my current bad situation, I must, unfortunately, think of such things, to show people that I am not completely dim-witted. It is wonderful how quickly you and Frisch thought of the physical experiments and carried them out, so that some of our laborious chemical trills would have been completely unnecessary. Your laborious experiments are by no means unnecessary. Without your beautiful results, we would never have had anything to consider. And you can hardly imagine what it meant to me for once to do something that really seemed like scientific thinking for a few days. 
In Hahn and Strassman's next paper, Meitner and Fisher's ideas are barely credited. Meitner is hurt by this minimising of her contributions. In Sweden, she struggles to carry out the experiments she thought of without appropriate equipment or support and can only watch on as her colleagues across the world built on her work. In 1939, she writes to Hahn. With me, things are not good at all. I have a place to work here, but no position that gives me the least right to anything. Try for a moment to imagine how it would be if instead of your own beautiful institute, you had one workroom in a strange institute without the slightest help, without any rights. Now people will gradually believe, especially after your beautiful results, that I never did anything, and you also did all the physics. I am gradually losing all my courage. Forgive this unhappy letter. I never wrote how bad it really is. The next day she writes to her brother, Walter. Unfortunately, I did everything wrong. And now I have no self-confidence. And when I once thought I did things well, now I don't trust myself. Hahn has just published absolutely wonderful things based on our work together. Uranium and thorium nuclei split into lighter nuclei, such as barium and lanthanum, krypton, strontium. And much as these results make me happy for Hahn, both personally and scientifically, many people here must think I contributed absolutely nothing to it. And now I am so discouraged. Naturally, it is my fault. I should have prepared my flight much better and much earlier. Should at least have had drawings of important apparatus. Today, it is very clear to me that I committed a great moral wrong by not leaving in 33. Because staying had the result of supporting Hitlerism. Living under the Nazi regime, it is dangerous for Hahn to admit his ongoing collaboration with the exiled and Jewish Meitner. Hahn begins compartmentalising the discovery, separating himself from Meitner by separating the chemistry from the physics. By February, he claims that he and Strassmann never touched on physics, but instead always did chemical separations over and over again. Hahn is constructing a narrative in which the fission discovery was entirely chemical, purely German and politically sanitised. We came to the result that it will certainly be possible technically to extract energy from atomic nuclei. There were two possibilities, an energy producing machine and a bomb. It was clear that a considerable but not exceptional technical effort would be required for an energy producing machine, while the necessary effort for the manufacture of a bomb would have to be immense. I am a scientist and like all scientists, I am interested only in discovery and not application. Hitler invades Poland in September 1939, and two days later Britain and France declare war on Germany. I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note, stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. In 1943, Meitner and Fisch are asked to join scientists working on the atomic bomb at Los Alamos. I will have nothing to do with a bomb. The letters from German friends sound very depressed, yet I do not think they comprehend just what sort of fate has befallen Germany through their passivity, and they understand even less that they share responsibility for the horrible crimes Germany has committed. 
How shall the world trust a new Germany when its best and intellectually most prominent people do not have the insight to understand this and do not have a burning desire to make whatever amends are possible? From the beginning of the war, Hans Institute is entirely devoted to fission and other military research. Meitner is frustrated at the seemingly passive attitudes of her friends remaining in Germany and pens this letter to Hahn at the end of the war. I have written very many letters in my thoughts in the last few months because it was so clear to me that even people such as you have not comprehended the reality of the situation. You all worked for Nazi Germany and you did not even try passive resistance. Granted, to absolve your consciences you helped some oppressed person here and there but millions of innocent people were murdered and there was no protest. They say that you first betrayed your friends, then your men and your children in that you let them give their lives on a criminal war, and finally that you betrayed Germany itself, because even when the war was completely hopeless, you never once spoke out against the senseless destruction of Germany. This sounds pitiless, but nevertheless, I believe that the reason I write this to you is true friendship, you really cannot expect that the rest of the world feels sympathy for Germany. In the last few days, one has heard of the unbelievably gruesome things in the concentration camps. It overwhelms everything once previously feared. When I heard on the English radio a very factual report on Belsen and Buchenwald, I took to howling out loud. If you could have seen for yourself those who came here from the camps. You yourself may perhaps recall how when I was still in Germany, and today I know that it was not only stupid, but a great wrong that I had not immediately left. I often said to you, as long as only we and not you have sleepless nights, things will not be better in Germany. But you had no sleepless night. You did not want to see. It was too uncomfortable. I beg you to believe me that all I write here is an attempt to help you all. Hahn never receives this letter. Allied troops finally succeed in entering Germany and Hahn is taken into custody and held in Cambridge. We hope that we can save something of German science. Then it would be worthwhile to have been abducted here. The outlook for the future is dark for all of us. I have not got a long future to look forward to. Men are not idealists and everyone will not agree not to work on such a dangerous thing. Every country will work on it in secret especially as they will assume that it can be used as a weapon of war. What is dreadful are the hundreds of small inquiries from Jewish emigrants about the whereabouts of those who stayed in Germany and later were deported. Relatives, parents, children, it goes mostly like this. Who knows something about the whereabouts of someone, formerly from Berlin? This street, deported 1943 to unknown destination. Terrible. It was not only stupid, but also a great injustice that I did not leave immediately, because in the last resort I had supported Hitlerism by staying on. Would you, if you had been in our place, have acted differently from so many of us, namely to make forced concessions and to be inwardly very unhappy about them? One cannot do anything to counteract a terror regime. How can one constantly reproach an entire people for their behaviour during such times? We all know that Hitler was responsible for the war, and the unspeakable misery all over the world, but there must be some sort of world understanding also for the German people. Forgetting the past and instead stressing the injustice that is being done to Germany, 
Since I am part of the past to be repressed, Han has not mentioned our long cooperation, or even my name in those interviews in which he talks about our life's work. August 1945 Tokyo admits extensive damage caused by the atomic bomb at Hiroshima. New air attacks have been thrown against Japan. Washington and other allied capitals are buzzing with speculation about the new bomb and its possibilities. In their present form, these bombs are now in production, and even more powerful forms are in development. It is an atomic bomb. It is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws its power has been loosed. What has been done is the greatest achievement of organized science in history. Lisa is painted in the press as the Jewish mother of the bomb, her story elaborated to suggest that she herself had brought the secrets of the atomic bomb to the Allies. Hans captors note that he had originally contemplated suicide when he realised the terrible potentialities of his discovery, and he feels that these have now been realised and he was to blame. I almost lose my nerves again at the thought of this great new suffering, but otherwise I'm very glad that it was not we Germans, but rather the allied Anglo-Americans who made and used this new weapon of war. I didn't think it would be possible for another 20 years. I thank God on my bended knees that we did not make a uranium bomb. What he ought to have said was that he was glad about it because Germany has done so many other things that were much worse, but he was unable to say that. In 1945, Hahn is awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for the discovery of nuclear fission. Surely Hahn fully deserved the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. There is really no doubt about it. But I believe that Frisch and I contributed something not insignificant to the clarification of the process of uranium fission, how it originates and that it produces so much energy. And that was something very remote from Hahn. He uses his Nobel speech to plead for Germans and for Germany. It really is not true that during the last 13 years, all Germans, and especially all German scientists, subscribed to the Hitler regime with flying colours. It is probably not clear to many people outside Germany under what pressure most lived the last 10 or 12 years. And how many of my German colleagues, despite external hindrances, made the effort to continue pure scientific research as far as possible. Hahn did the Nazi regime's dirty work and lent them his good name in the process, receiving nothing for it but the vague hope that he and his institute would be left alone. He suppresses the past with all his might, even though he always truly hated and despised the Nazis. As one of his main motives is to gain international respect for Germany once again, and since he does not have a very strong character, nor is he a very thoughtful person, he denies the facts or trivialises them. He is convinced that the Germans are being treated unjustly, the more so in that he simply suppresses the past. Therefore, while he was here, his only thoughts were to speak for Germany. As for me, I am part of the past that is to be suppressed. Immediately following the war, Hahn speaks out strongly against the use of nuclear weapons. He establishes the Federation of German Scientists in 1959, an NGO committed to responsible science. As a Nobel laureate, he signs manifestos and appeals to bodies such as the UN against nuclear proliferation. As I have often emphasised on official occasions and in my lectures, I consider the manufacturing of A and H bombs a great danger to mankind. 
especially when small countries, one after another, wish to produce them too. It would be satisfactory if the USA and Britain on one hand and the Soviet Union on the other be neutralized by the possession of those bombs. We must reach an agreement through negotiations with these A-bomb manufacturing nations. And even after that, I am against any further increasing of A-bombs and support all that is opposed to the expansion of them. The energy of nuclear physical reactions has been given into man's hands. Shall it be used for the assistance of free scientific thought, for social improvement and the betterment of the living conditions of mankind? Or will it be misused to destroy what mankind has built up in thousands of years? The answer must be given without hesitation, and undoubtedly the scientists of the world will strive towards the first alternative. To smash the simple atom, all mankind was intent. Now any day, the atom may return the compliment. Both scientists continued to work for many years after the war, maintaining their close friendship until the end of their lives. They both died in 1968, a few months apart. Lisa's headstone reads, Lisa Meitner, a physicist who never lost her humanity. Well, everyone, <coughs> that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna, let's start off, Bridie, because yeah, when we were researching this, you had this whole why wasn't it a love story question. I did at the start. And then we were like, that's very heteronormative of us. Yeah. Isn't it? Why can't the men and the women just be friends? Exactly. Thank you, Dan. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, and I think the more you read it, the more you're like, he didn't deserve her anyway. <laughs> yeah, he really didn't. No, he was just a dick. <laughs> that uh, might get cut out. <laughs> maybe not. The um, other thing I think, because the theme of this episode is guilt. Yeah. So there's lots of different threads of guilt running throughout. So which one do you guys think stands out most? I would say the guilt about enabling countries to build atomic bombs. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one that I would like if I if I had done that, I think that would be what preyed on me a bit more. Yeah, I think they both felt that they had pers was personally responsible or at least part responsible for the death of so many people in Japan yeah. and yeah. that is quite a lot to bear I guess so when he says because there's the part where he says I am a scientist Should I am a scientist and like all scientists I'm interested only in discovery and not application ah. so when he says that why should he feel why well, should he feel lot, bad um, so we used we used a book by Ruth Lewin Syme about Lisa um, and she she's quite critical of Han but she says in a lot of it, of his sort of, his own writings, his autobiographies post-war, that he he kind of deluded himself. He kind of was like, no, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I wasn't involved in this. He really sort of rewrote his history a little bit and he found ways to excuse himself. Not that he should necessarily have felt guilty for it. That's a very personal thing, whether you think he should have or not. And I don't really think he should have. Um, but... You know, he was like, well, it wasn't us that did it, at least. And you're sort of like, well, you were working on it, though. That's, you know, the aim, mm. you know, in, in Germany, he was part of the group that was working on the German attempt to make one. Just because the Germans didn't succeed, I don't think. And didn't he kind of keep it under wraps that he knew it was going to take way too long for them to get to that point? Just because yeah. he wanted his institute to be left alone so it could keep mm -hmm. doing its science. 
Well, apparently when the Allies sort of looked into what they'd actually done, they were like, the Germans are really far behind. So it's interesting, yeah, whether they just weren't very good without their physics department or whether they just weren't trying very hard. Who knows? What about her guilt um, during World War Two? Because mm. she's like, she did nothing and she feels bad for staying for those five years. She says she should have left in '33. I think it makes sense because most Germans did not, even though Hitler clearly said that the Jews were the problem all the time, no one really believed he would actually do something about it. All, mm. Everyone was just like, oh, but he, 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 built, he, he, made, he created jobs, he made roads, he improved our country, and no one really expected him to actually end up going to war. So it makes sense. And I think as soon as she noticed that it did actually become very, very bad and that Jews started to get discriminated against. I think she was right to leave at that point. I think she couldn't have expected everything that happened in '33. It is an interesting one because she clearly does feel guilty about it and she feels angry with Han that he didn't do more to sort of deny. Although he did, you know, a lot of the people she worked with at the Institute hid people or, or tried to get people out. But yeah, it's interesting she feels guilty. Uh, I suppose she feels anything she contributed science wise was something she should feel guilty about. There's that thing about how, um, because he, after, in his Nobel speech, he's like, oh, German science, we were still doing great things. We weren't, yeah, like, don't, like, keep us separate from the Nazis. Can you, can he argue for that? I don't think he can, necessarily. And I'm not saying, I mean, we've discussed this, I think, but... I'm not saying that necessarily if I was in that situation, I would do anything different. I think probably your instinct for self-preservation is such that you're like, nope, I'm not going to deal with this. But there is a possible implication that Han was kind of more interested in looking up for his institute. You know, he was sort of worried politically, maybe not so much for his life. Um, And Hmm. yeah, he didn't really fight for Lisa before she went. He was just like... Just don't take my institute away from me, please. Ugh. We don't dislike Han as such, but there is a quote where Lisa said, perhaps it's not possible to be that charming and also a very deep person. So I think she liked him very much. They were very, very close friends. But after the Nobel Prize thing and after him, because he did, he really in the media just like never mentioned her didn't cite her in his papers. She's referred to as his pupil. Yeah, he he allowed people to continue calling her his pupil, even though she was absolutely not. She was the head of department. She was head of physics. Yeah, and I mean, that is not really nice of him. But I think he kind of didn't have a choice during the war. Mm. He he couldn't couldn't credit her because that would have endangered his own position. Uh, And I think... I don't. I mean, I obviously don't know, but it might have been just that he had to like keep up with the narrative he already created. Mm. Because if he lied about that, then why wouldn't he have lied about his discovery or about anything else? That's a good point, actually. That like, you know, because during the war we understand that he didn't cite her because he didn't want to say I'm still collaborating with this exiled woman. Um, and now, you know, he feels like if he then goes back on it, people will go, well, what? What's the real story? Do you think he he may have influenced the way we think about nuclear weapons today? There's not like a huge amount of quotes of, from him about the nuclear weaponry, but I'd assume that he did. You know, if he had this NGO that he created, it's yeah, it's weird that we're still basically in the same situation that he's talking about when he's like, mm. 
oh, one side neutralized by the other. Hey. Yeah, world. but also he has right now. There's only five or six countries that actually have nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. and. I think that is partly because of him, because of what he said, like all the small countries trying to develop their own weapons. And it has actually been kind of, there are rules and countries can't just have atomic bombs. Yeah. Like all, like everything that happened in Iran in the past couple of years, they made them give up their atomic weapons. Mm. So there is some kind of regulation that makes sure that not every country has bombs. So I think he is partly to credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, it almost to me feels like a case of a top scientist. Obviously, he was top in his field, and he was his views are basically aligned with public opinion, but not necessarily with those in power at the time. And like, does that? If, how common is that? Like, how often does that happen? Because mm. it's, it's not happened with yeah. GM crops. Scientists are like, this is great, and the government's like, oh, <laughs> could, could be pretty good. Yeah, and the public are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, nuclear weaponry, it's a really tough one. And, you know, he he could have stayed out of it a lot more than he did. He could have been like, look, I just came up with this thing. It's not my fault you all decided to, like, make horrifying weapons with it. But he didn't. He, he stepped in and he said something. I think that's interesting about the use of science. He chose not to just say, well, this was my science and it's totally not related he did exclude himself from blame for a lot of things, but he felt associated with the bomb. And so there is an interesting link there where he wasn't, he didn't create the bomb. So what? it's interesting that he felt sort of responsible for it. You know, I, I think what you said about the, the whole public being aligned with the scientists and the government, I think what you said with GM crops, it's something that affects everyone because they eat food and it can affect them in a positive way and in a negative way. But nuclear bombs can only affect you in a negative way. Well, unless you're in a country and you blow up another country, and that's great. But I think everyone knows that as soon as that happens, your country's going to be bombed as well. Yeah. So the only yeah. thing nuclear weapons can do is destroy the world. So I suppose basically. that's an interesting thing where you've got the difference between nuclear weapons and nuclear fission. Because nuclear fission has lots of potential He talks about that positive energy applications. Yeah, yeah. He's Which like, we've got right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and nuclear energy is actually... Well, it's very controversial, but it's it's kind of a clean energy. I mean, it I, I know energy, it yeah. is clean energy. Like, I know we've got obviously there's a huge issue with radioactivity and where we put it, and but in terms of carbon, yeah, emissions. you know, there's a, a really interesting thing about how they they've spent a long time figuring out how to make signs that go like "Don't come in here" for yes. people in hundreds of years' time who might not even speak the same language. There is, isn't there a huge concrete thing, and it's done, and it's almost written as if it's a mythological. Yeah. Evil lurks here. Yeah, Do yeah, not yeah. dig here or like something. But it was made Tutankhamen's in the last tune. hundred years. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. But yeah, so nuclear fission could be hugely beneficial. Well, is, can be. And also the literal like end of the world yeah. situation. It's kind of like how do we separate that mm. science from society? Should we? Mm. Is he right to be... Because he's basically encroaching on politics and, like, international affairs. He has no authority in those, like, mm. in those areas at all. So if, is he is he right to do that? Or is he using his position? Obviously, in this situation, it's a really... You know, he did a really great thing. But another scientist who has strong views on something, for whatever reason, is it right for them to use their position 
and their reputation to speak out publicly about things. Yeah, I think it is because politicians, it's all politicians do. They're like, oh, I'm a politician, so I know how this works. I mean, why couldn't scientists do that? Mm, that's a really interesting point. I mean, yeah, should we be engaging scientists more in politics and in the public discussion of politics? You know, there's lots of politics related to science where it's quite clear that the political groups working on it don't really have any knowledge of science or are ignoring the scientific recommendations should we make you know a a sort of environment in the media in the public sphere where scientists feel more comfortable speaking out and saying as a scientist this is what i think this is what i know would it help do you think in uh, contradicting sort of people who are for example anti-gm not to say GM is necessarily all good, but there's a lot of myths around it and there's a lot of confusion. If we were in a society where it was more accepted that scientists speak out, that scientists talk about the science in the context of politics and public life, would we have that same amount of confusion over things like that? And then, I, But then the thing that comes to mind as devil's advocate mm. in this situation is, so should we then also let people like politicians and maybe like actors and business people be able to speak out about yeah. science like should we let it go mm, the other so way open the floodgates a bit yeah why not i mean it's public money it mm. is but what about so if it's public money yes but is if it's a big business who wants to influence what research i is suppose you done? could argue yeah, I mean, that big that businesses yeah <laughs> yep so <laughs> unfortunately yeah oh no i think mm. it, i think right now it's all it's already going one way yeah because even politicians already decide how much money goes to what university so if a university or if another research institute does stuff they don't agree with they just stop their funding so right now it's a one it's one way and we should get it more like a two-way yeah so that scientists can also influence politics yeah there, there are attempts there are huge pushes in the parliamentary office for science and technology to get phd students in to like work with um policymakers so the there's like kind of an active attempt starting in uk politics at least i mean you were talking about science as separate from society but there's also issues here when we talk about the nobel prize um, of science being separate from itself so one of the reasons that Hahn won the nobel prize and meitner didn't is that she was a physicist he was a chemist and he is sort of post discovery really fought to be like no no it was all chemistry there was no physics involved it's completely fine you know that's that's the end of that is that a negative for science that we're really we... clearly drawing lines between different scientific fields or should we be more like open to being interdisciplinary i think it's 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 kind of going that way i think we got loads more of interdisciplinary research going on right now but for a nobel prize i mean he won the nobel prize in chemistry but they should have awarded Meitner the same nobel prize in chemistry even though what she did was physics her research was such a big part of, of that chemistry as a field yeah sort of, yeah because after he won the nobel prize for chemistry he was nominated loads for the nobel prize in physics i think was he? yeah he was like he that. was and not she i think she was too neither of them won it mm. and then he was he, he like got nominated for the nobel peace prize mm. later on he was nominated yeah, for everything because basically as soon as he'd won one big thing it seemed as if people yeah. kept being like hey so this, have some more stuff there's like, something called the matthew effect which essentially suggests it's sort of like a sociology theory but particularly comes up in science once someone starts winning awards and acclaim and becoming famous they keep getting recognized for things so han was well known he had lots of buildings named after him it made sense for them to continue throughout his life giving him awards giving him things naming things after him 
and Meitner sort of vanished a little bit into the distance. And Ruth Lewin Syme, who wrote the book that we used, she said she became interested in Lisa Meitner because she was sort of one of the first female scientists that came so close to breaking that pattern and didn't quite. Because hmm. the theme, one theme that does come up is him kind of erasing her from the narrative in a way. Like, yeah. And obviously he, there was so much going on. It was really complicated politically. And like he had all these feelings of... I can't imagine having... Like, I, I obviously can't imagine what it was like to live through World War II. Mm. In it. Like, I just can't imagine it. But I can imagine that whatever he was feeling was so complex that mm. maybe he just needed this black and white story, story narrative. to stick to. Yeah. And then it becomes real almost to some people so I've got I just think he, again. he I've got I'm erasing my friend from the narrative <laughs> <laughs> I mean at least the future historians are not wondering but we know what happened yeah so that's good and I think he should after the war he should have got back to cred actually crediting her and he could because what we said earlier like it might be because he would suddenly have to change his story yeah. but he could have said he could have explained why he could he have. could have taught the world like i could not credit a jewish scientist during the war but yeah. actually she was a really big part of the discovery yeah i mean he could even have added citations to his to his previous reports yeah but he didn't and i think she was just so nice to him all she the is. time. All her letters, yeah. she's like, oh, you've done such wonderful oh, discoveries. Work, it's hun. a shame you decided not to cite me at all, but I understand. And you're just like, why? I would have been so, so, so annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, in a foreign country, knows no one. She's working mm. with strangers who think she's an idiot because yeah. she's really, got no really equipment. sad in Sweden. She's she really having struggled. a really shit time. And then he's like, oh, look, I've discovered nuclear fission. And she's like, but I did all the theoretical like, physics behind it. And yeah. I started these experiments with you. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. And he, there are moments where he literally like rearranges history. He's like, oh, yeah, we started looking at this thing. And then Lisa came up with this idea that sort of supported it. And you're like, no, she told you her idea. Then you started looking for the evidence. There are some very, very clear moments of him yeah, changing how things happened. And I think, but she said, again, the angry letters she writes or the, the most angry she is, is about him and other scientists in Germany that she was friends with sort of not seeming to get how bad Germany's actions in the war had been. And how, She was really frustrated yeah. with them. She and was really, really angry with them about that. And she actually sort of let the Nobel thing go. She mm. was like, oh, this is annoying and I'm sad about it, but that's, yeah. it is what it is. I do still think that the, even the German scientists do make a valid point that you can't blame the whole people for a war. Yeah. Obviously, it was bad, and they shouldn't have contributed to mm. it. But you yeah. can't blame them for not wanting to die. No, I think yeah. I think she actually had a lot of sympathy for them during the war, which is sort of a miscommunication between her and Han. I think what she got angry about was afterwards. They kept being like, he kept being like German science is separate to yeah. the Nazis, um, and also sort of deny not quite understanding how bad. Yeah, and but but the thing is, his institute—they were literally doing military research, like they were kept open. She, the reason she was allowed to stay there for so long as an Austrian Jew, she got special permission basically for because ages she was because she was part of the university and part of that yeah. vital research. So I really don't understand how he can have that. Dis I I just don't understand how he there can, can also, so black and white be like yeah. our science was separate to Nazi Germany because it it just wasn't. There's like, also a really interesting thing about how in the First World War, I mean, we sort of quickly mentioned it, but he was 
he was very, very involved in poison gases. And he kind of shut himself off from that. So during the First World War, when he was working on this, he was like, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not dealing with that. That's not like that's just something i don't think about he was very distant he saw it as um what he saw it as was it was it ended the war quicker Mm. i think so why didn't he feel the same way about nuclear i guess it comes back to that scale well it's interesting because um some of the one of our sources was these transcripts from when he was held captive in cambridge with a few other um german scientists and quite a few of them did say oh well at least it's ended the war which i think was quite a common opinion back then certainly not just them um and his thing of going well at least it wasn't the germans that did it yay yeah that's bad yeah yeah that is really bad it is I think that's fine wow so guilt 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 opinions <laughs> on guilt um in general i think this is a hugely complex story there's a huge amount of guilt in it there's the nuclear weaponry there's Lisa not getting the due credit, there's Lisa needing to flee Germany, there's the involvement in the war and in the First World War, there's so much going on. But in terms of its impact on science and science's impact on the guilt, I don't think it particularly influenced what science they did. You know, I don't think they held back necessarily from doing any science. I mean, it sort of practically impacted on Lisa because she had to escape Germany and then was stuck in this lab in Sweden where nobody liked her and, like, it's really sad. (laughs) But Han didn't really ever do science after that and she didn't do a huge amount of science after that either. They were getting on a bit. Yeah, I think they they basically, they finished their field. Mm. They discovered fission, that's it. What else are you going to do? Doesn't she say in something later on, she's like, oh, I looked at some research papers and I couldn't understand. Yeah, I think a few years after she left. forward so quickly. Yeah, science, she was like, it's like they're writing in a different language. Yeah, I I think guilt plays into lots of different research areas. And I think if I was doing scientific research and I knew or I was like, there's an application for something bad here... Mm. I think it comes down to each person. I just think it would influence me so m- If I was on the brink of that and then yeah. I realised what was going on, I I think I'd really, really struggle with that mm. personally. So maybe I suppose there's also questions about... I mean, I'm sure they were not the only people working on nuclear. And so there's... Yeah, there's a couple of elements where they could be, OK, well, somebody else is gonna find this anyway might as well be me or to me maybe there's just this element of being so caught up in your science and the the beauty of your science and the sort of perfection of your science that you forget about what change might happen because of your science and I think that's something that maybe might be what most scientists would relate to is that idea of being so sort of caught up in oh my god I'm doing this amazing thing and I'm going to be the first to do this and I'm so intellectually invested in it i want to know the answer yeah maybe if it had been discovered in a time of peace Mm, things would have been very different yeah and i think the difference is also there was there is a good application for it Mm. the energy bit is really really useful i think if it's just if if something just has a bad application you might stop you might not i don't know because i mean we've obviously got to a point Mm. where we've got very advanced weapons but if I would have to make the choice of like stopping my research or even, I would probably even fake 
create fake results. Mm-hmm. If I would, if I discover something with really, really, really bad potential, mm-hmm. I might even because you said some someone else might do it anyway. I might even be like, I'm going to write a report and mess science. up everyone else's research. Yeah, Ooh, to make wow. sure no one ever finds out Ooh, how it really works. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, it's got both massively positive and massively negative. If you're working on something that was just negative. Yeah. Like poison gases, for example. <laughs> Maybe you might stop. But would you feel guilty then? For... I would feel guilty about being a bad scientist, yeah. but I'd rather be a bad scientist than destroying the world by being a good scientist. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so nice. Right. We're finished. Do you want to do That's like it. a little outro that's just like, thanks for listening? Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll join us for the next one (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it without reading we hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us for our next one Jealousy